0: To his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3. Cut down! Wonderful try.
1: We have a mole, Jim. digs
0: like a demented mole there. He just busts through the defense. Just watch this. beautifully. In go the Irish for us. This is Lenahan bursting in. Back to Bradley,
2: back to Cannon. the drop of goal is over! Michael has done it.
1: Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. The Friday night fixture, Ulster versus Leinster, uh, was still good but it was a bit too damp to break into the kind of... Really high quality game that we had hoped for. But you. Festival
2: of Rugby, mad?
1: Yeah. <laughs> you were uh, quite uh, taken with Leinster's first 50 or so minutes, anyway.
2: Yeah, I thought an outstanding example of wet weather rugby from Leinster. I saw a photograph uh, from Sports Sportsfile, Murray Kinsler put it up on his Twitter feed, showing mm. the ferocious rain. Now, it, it's, it's one of the things which I. Leave, uh, like Mark Robson's really good at commentating on the weather. Uh, it's just one of his, how, how how well he builds atmosphere. He describes the atmosphere at rugby games really well. And sometimes you, you when they when they uh, shoot from the, the regular camera level, you don't get an idea of how wet it is. So they go down to the pitch level and then you see that was a ferocious, very inclement conditions. But I thought Leinster wrote them out extremely well. Played really pragmatic rugby. It suits how they play at the moment. They're particularly shy of, of back three players and lost another one at halftime to Dave Kearney. But uh, they uh, their approach to the game the no frills, c- cleverly kicking down the middle of the pitch, and then uh, using a very uh, dominant forward pack to establish position first through kicking and as Dennis go like it's an old fashioned. Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, like doing very old, going back, to, you know, sort of first generation crazy stuff of position then submission, and that's like Lencer's uh, performance against Benetton was was similar to that. So many uh, points scored offline at Malden, and, and this was another example of it. I thought really well played, uh, Jason Jenkins, Andrew Porter, and Ryan Baird in particular up front, uh, although. Dan, obviously Dan Sheehan as well. Dan Sheehan, man of the match Awards. Um And then while Luke McGrath occasionally fumbled the ball uh, and his, his pass wasn't great, he does move. He, he and Ross Byrne got the team playing in the right position uh, at, at 20 points to three, despite Ulster's late comeback, which was spirited. At 20 points to three, that game's over in those conditions.
1: Like over, over. Mm. It was not sexy rugby though. It was, uh, I mean, I, I, I think it's very noticeable the impact that uh, Jenkins has made on the team.
2: Amazing. Um, Amazing in that for uh, uh, how obvious it was to so many people and you can sort of convince yourself that if so many people think this is right and so many people are wrong about so many things, they must be wrong about this. But you, overthinking it, like, that's, that's what Leinster needed and they got it, you know, there's, Big right hand side second row, who pushes really well in the scrum, who pushes really well the model, Who's a great lifter, and uh, Jenkins in particular moves well around the pitch. He's just a bigger human. Like he doesn't look like a, he doesn't look like a huge man until you see him beside other people. You know, not a trace of acromegaly or whatever that yoke is called. <laughs>
1: Uh, we had made a couple of references to being excited about Aaron Sexton ahead of the game and he ended up not
2: having a great game at all no but that doesn't mean i'm not excited that, those weather conditions don't suit factory players like michael larry didn't have a good game either michael larry's had a lot more time um, in the saddle and the game didn't fall his way when he tried to bend it his way he made mistakes so that game, like no, very few outside backs are gonna make that make it, have a big game in, in, in that uh in those weather conditions. Sexness for him, like it's just that is a classic learning experience. Don't try and do too much.
1: Yeah, I was listening to the BBC. No, well, maybe Premier Sports Commentary. I was flicking around between all three of them, to be honest. And uh I settled on um whatever had Stephen Ferris on it, or like Stephen Ferris uh he really enjoys ulster Ulster. (laughs) but it had um luke fitzgerald on it as well and luke uh was i think he's in good mood i think he gets on with ferris very well Mm. um but he was just saying it was like doing that classic for any young kids watching don't carry the ball in that hand because that's the one you're supposed to push the defender away with and yeah it was uh like i almost felt a little bit bad for him because like we talked him up quite a bit and i was like i want this like He's having a tough game. Like Leinster were putting the ball on top of him, just like Ulster were putting the ball on top of Larmer. And uh, he was not doing particularly well underneath the high ball. Mm. And then he dropped the ball over the line, which doesn't mean you're a bad winger up in Ulster. As of No, <laughs> but,
2: you know, I think it's only his, I, I think it's like maybe his second or third start. And, you know, even aside from that, he's had very few appearances. Like he's a real rookie. So, um, yeah, it, it doesn't influence my opinion against him. He's got like this unbelievable blazing speed. Which panics the shit out of defenders. I still remember when Leinster played uh, against Wasps in the Challenge Cup quarter final. Oh yeah, Wade. Christian Wade. Christian Wade. Like, jeez, you're still going? Don't give him the ball. Every time he got the ball, yeah. like he scorched, he scorched the shit out of Leinster. And it's it genuinely like it's it's sort of panicky stations. Like your eye watch gives you a thing. You, you, you've got a heart rate of over 120 beats per minute. and You haven't moved in the last five minutes. <laughs>
1: you any thoughts on our uh, the uh, Leinster win in Ulster
0: um just how m- how much better Leinster were with Jenkins on the pitch compared to James Ryan and <laughs> which i think James Ryan seems to get a lot of negative press um, so i wouldn't I wouldn't blame him i don't i don't want to get that impression but just just how much better Leinster were with Jenkins like how, how much the game pretty suited him. But he moves well. Like, that was one of the things that hit me from Munster. Like, when he was coming back with Munster from one of numerous injuries, he, d- he never really got a run of games, but he used to try to offload. And he'd try to get his hands through tackles and he'd, he'd make sort of... Like, he'd, he'd get himself in, in situations to run. It wouldn't work out for him because he didn't have... He hadn't built up the relationship with the other players just through familiarity. But, like, he, he can move. He's, he's mobile as well as being huge. Um, so, I he seems to be just a very positive signing for Leinster, like exactly what they needed, just a, like a big unit, um, really solid, gives, gives Leinster a huge amount of ballast um, and should be mobile enough to to be able to adapt to a different game plan. But you could sort of fall into the, the trap of saying, oh, like Leinster's, like, Leinster's, you know, the way that Leinster play, giving it the impression that Leinster are indulging themselves and in attacking from their own 22, whereas Leinster are a very well-drilled kicking team and have been for a number of years. Like, this isn't, uh, you know, the, it's probably with the, the dearth of back three players that they've had to emphasize it, but really, for the last four seasons, I think Leinster have been very prescriptive about where they kick, and playing a territory-based game and de-risking a lot of the, de-risking the opposition, just sort of saying, like, they're not going to score against us from from their half and we're going to play a pressure game. And I I think, like, Leo, uh, Leo talks, like, I noticed from reading articles with the view to, and particularly interviews with the view to taking out what the coach says, Leo talks expansively. About uh, when he's asked about questions, he he sort of seems like he's saying nothing because he tends to sort of not talk directly to the question that he's asked, but he does talk expansively about whatever he wants to talk about. Um, frequently in 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 uh, press conferences, so I, 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 they just very. Um, very determined of what they want to do and very, very aware of using scoreboard pressure, using territorial pressure and applying pressure to the opposition um, as a means to being, like, consistently difficult to beat uh, against all forms of opposition. And I suppose a lot of the coverage of Leinster is about how they can't get past a certain type of team, be it, like, a Will Skelton-fueled or a very set piece. And we sort of talk to this that like the manner in which leinster have lost has varied it's it's just that it's the way that all rugby teams lose it's like you you come up against a really good pack and you typically struggle in the set piece that that's that's the that's the way it works or you come up against a team that has home advantage and uh you know decisions don't go away, your way you know because the referee is 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 human so but but typically, you
1: know, you're losing the forwards. So did Leo go on at length when he was not asked about it about signing a back three medical joker from somewhere?
2: No, that was us. <laughs> that was us. So Leinster are down to two fit back three players out of six in their senior squad. So the the remaining two are Jimmy O'Brien and Jordan Armour. Tommy O'Brien is out for months yet with an ACL rehab. James Lowe's calf. Hugo Keenan has a couple of injuries. And Dave Kearney now was out since halftime of that game. And with the wealth of wingers in Ireland, which we can go through, you know, Stockdale, Balakum, Earls, Conway, Hanson, Larmerlow. Lowe, like there's no real need and there's no likelihood of a player emerging... From the blue to become a, an Irish winger in the next like three, four, five months. So, with Tommy O'Brien out for you know up until like he he only got injured in May, mm. so plus nine months plus 10 months gives you March. Um, Leicester should look to be signing an an injury joker to uh to provide for his absence because. We don't have enough players to to cover those positions. The league isn't the league that it was three years ago, four years ago with 21 games, with multiple games happening during international breaks and weaker teams where you can drop in um, academy players almost, you know, effortlessly without making any sort of, without really risking the game or the points. Now it's just like it's the first team league. Some of Leinster's easiest games last season were their group games in the Heineken Cup, uh, and you know Leinster should uh, be looking out for themselves and and trying to get trying to get an injury joker in. You know, we we'll, was we'll, we'll looking at the NPC and and Super Rugby how those schedules work out. So the NPC ends in in two weeks, two and a half weeks, and then Super Rugby doesn't begin until the twenty fourth. Of February. So a three month injury joker, a 90 day joker gets you through November, December, January, gets the player involved back in time to a super rugby team to, to do a full pre season with them. So my feeling is that uh, Lencer's easiest into that would be through Canterbury or the Crusaders with Andrew Goodman having coached there so regularly or, or so recently rather. Or
0: I was just thinking Isa in Auckland.
2: Or Isa in Auckland and see if there's a player who is interested in. Playing in the northern hemisphere, making money, and is uh,
0: has g- the names Aaron Sullivan.
2: Yeah, <laughs> let's just get Aaron or George Bridge or George Bridge from Crusaders. Yeah, or Milner Scudder is back playing NPC rugby. He's only thirty one. Oh, yeah. You know, so I think he's Wellington. Um, but you know, for those players, like the money will be good. The timing is quite good, and. I think it's, uh, it's a pragmatic thing that Leinster should be looking at. Uh, we've sort of segueing on, or do you want to cut in on that, or just sort of segueing on to the difference between how, and uh, briefly touched on it before, how the, the league used to be a really good vehicle for Irish rugby for developing players. and It's just not that anymore. U, URC is, is completely the, the second-best league. Uh, in in europe and it's the teams are stronger and you need to win it i yeah so
0: i have mixed feelings about this because almost universally the emerging ireland tour is panned and it really just seems like how strongly you feel on the subject that you could be like birch hates it and then other people have just dismissed it and gone oh you know the Greek's were awful and it's at the wrong time. And MacFarland was asked, and he responded, "Don't poke the bear. No, I'm not frustrated. I'm glad they're getting the opportunity in South Africa to put their names forward for the World Cup. And the way it's like the way I've heard it discussed was that nearly all the Ulster players on that tour would have been involved against Leinster, and they would have been the better first. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, would they? Probably with Ulster, yeah, maybe a few of them would, but like Irish rugby does have, um, there's competition for the places. There's going to be more and more people at a senior level who are available to play for the provinces at first time. So like the young guys aren't going to get that much opportunity. Mm-hmm. Now, it may be that, um, let me just say, I love the emerging tour. I know you do. I am I'm am the only person that does, but I love it. I think it's great that there's matches on. I think on a like on a Friday lunchtime, I think it's tomorrow great lunchtime. that tomorrow lunch well, tomorrow afternoon it's four o'clock. Oh okay. I think it's great that um Crowley is getting to start for for and I think it's absolutely symptomatic of rugby all over the place. If you're coaching a junior team like or a seconds team in the club, you get dicked on by the firsts. If you're coaching the firsts in a club, first division club you get ticked on by the professional game Mm -hmm. if you are coaching a province you get ticked on by the national (laughs) game right this is like you need to be told this it's it's like needing to be told that the team that goes forward always gets decisions from the referee Mm. particularly if they're playing at home like (laughs) this is just an immutable law so but also i think you have to you have to bear in mind something that you've been saying about the number of subs and like who influences this and it's coaches and particularly in the area that we, that we live in um the amount of prominence. So I, I was talking before we started recording about looking or maybe when we were recording about looking to, interviews and what does the coach say? Mm -hmm. And I'll 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 take a note occasionally and I'll sort of say, right, like you know, I'll comment about this at some stage or I'll build up a record of what he's talking about. But it's always the coach. It's always the manager. And the reason for that is that it's 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 taken from football. And the reason for that is that it's mandated in the premiership that the manager goes and does an interview. Mm-hmm. It's mandated. It's, it's part of Sky's broadcasting as part of their deal with the Premiership, and it has been since the Premiership was initiated. Now, BT have obviously come in and started broadcasting. You're talking about the Premier League. The Premier League, the sorry, sorry, sorry. The, the Premier League, game. the football, right? Yeah. So, so it's like from Ferguson, Wenger, through Mourinho, and so on, and so on, and so on, to, to Pep, um, football managers are mini-celebrities. Because they're constantly on TV talking about this and that and whatever. Because they're contractually mandated to. So they have this influence in the media. And it's like that with coaches. So like Birch is firmly from the coach viewpoint of, I do not want anybody coming in and stealing all my players Mm -hmm. midway through the season. And like no coach is going to support that. So... In the media, I, I believe the media is influenced by the coaches. The coaches are going, there's absolutely no way. I want anybody coming in and taking my players. So this is a bad thing. But you look at it and you go, well, Jack Crowley was absolutely savage for the emerging team. Mm. And actually, the Griquas are quite an awkward team to play against. And I was there going, like, 25 years ago, Ireland would have lost that match because the Greeks are bigger than them they're stronger than them they're playing at home and it's really just a matter of time before we buckle whereas you see an Irish team that's young and professionally trained and is equipped with skills and are more intelligent for want of a better word like know how to play the game in the right part of the pitch play it tight know what they're trying to do as a team are or well organised and they put 50 points on them and mm-hmm. then you say well, well the Greeks are absolutely awful now they weren't absolutely awful they were shy of the sort of savvy that a top class team need but two of the things in particular that Crowley did, and obviously I'm a huge Crowley fan Mm. just spoke to me of this innate footballing intelligence or learned footballing intelligence, whatever you want to put it. One was the the chit through that he put in where he took it to the line and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what this guy's going to do. The
1: diagonal grubber.
0: The diagonal grubber. That oh, sat up. That sat up. But he he took the ball, he ran at them, yeah. and you're sort of going, is he going to take on the defense himself or is he going to make a short pass or is he going to put the grubber through? And it's like Dan Carter. Like, I'll make that comparison. Like, with Carter there, nothing that he did seemed to be outrageous in his second coming after, like, I, like he was outrageous against the Lions in 2005. But then when he was coming back, when he come back from his injury post-2011, he always seemed to do something fairly straightforward. The thing was, you never knew what he was going to do until he got up to the defence. You didn't know if he was going to take you on. He didn't know if he was going to pass long or short. and You didn't know if he was going to kick. And he was like that every single time he got the ball. So to be able to do that as a fly half is a tremendous challenge to a defence because you don't know what it is that you're setting up against. The other thing that, that caught my imagination was Ireland got a penalty. They, they played advantage. The referee, of course he did, as we talked about last week. And the ball came back off a bounce, and it was, it was put back to Crowley, just like that. And he just... He, he didn't even look... He maybe looked up once, and he gave a cross-kick to Balakun. Now, it wasn't an absolutely wonderful kick that landed on the line. Like, Balakun basically went across the pitch, and Balakun sort of had to jump up, taking it static. But it was, it, it was the express... It was the quickness of thought to go, you know what, we have a penalty... If there's any space, it's on over there. Mm -hmm. I know I want to give it to Balakum because if he gets it in space, he'll score. And I'm just going to boot it across. And that that thinking, that level of thought to see the pitch that wide, just like that, is, again, it's something that not many people have. It reminded me of Sexton's cross-kick against Bath last year in the Champions League where he just goes, I know where the space is because I'm thinking about it all the way, 65 metres across the pitch. And... You know, we talked about Crowley, or not Crowley, Frawley, last week and the way he resources Rooks. And I was sort of saying to you, look, Ross Byrne's a better out-half than Frawley. It pains me to say it, but, like, Frawley's a centre. I don't see him as an out-half. I think he's a fine rugby player. But I'm sorry to say at this stage it's it's too late for him. But I look at Crowley and I go, like, he should have gone to New Zealand. I texted you guys after the, the French match saying he should take Harry Byrne and Crowley to New he Zealand. did, after yeah. I think said it on this as well. And... I knew of course it's not going to happen but I, I was watching a play and I just like the sooner better for everybody.
1: So does that not I mean I have been surprised by the weight of reaction to the emerging Ireland tour. I was just like oh cool like and then when the when the team was picked it was even sort of like weaker is not the, ni- the nice word to describe it. it was like but it was it was people further down the pecking order than than I had anticipated. I can't, why would anyone get bent out of shape about this? What the, These guys who are not the main players of the provinces are going to miss games for, games against Zebra and away at Dragons.
0: And Leinster, like Ulster are the hardest affected. Um But I thought that replacement hooker that came on for Ulster played really well. So you're sort of Mary saying, Andrew, oh, yeah,
2: he did. Tom, well.
0: Tom Stewart really missed out. And you're going, yeah, like, maybe he did, but. Like, he's he's going to get two and a bit matches in South Africa. Like, he's... So Rob Herring got injured. Like, all things been equal, he was going to get half an hour against Leinster. Like, there wasn't the... Rob Herring getting injured wasn't the plan. Mm. And the guy who came on for Rob Herring played well. So, like, I, I don't feel that Ulster got cheated there. They missed Balikun. Yeah. Yeah. Like, without a doubt, you miss Balikun. But, like, I think any team in Ireland would, would miss Balikun. Yeah. Leinster would miss him. hmm
2: yeah. Um, Jerry Torney. Jerry Torney came out against it today. I don't know if you saw his Irish yeah, I Times article. Yeah. And like I'm, I'm, I'm sort of on on there. Like I, I'd like Leinster to have you know Jamie Osborne, for example. Leinster are in his in his article. He states very like Leinster are probably the least affected. Normally, we lose loads of players to an Ireland squad, and in this one, it's more or less you know it's a three-way split between Ulster, Munster, Leinster and and then Connacht have some players out
1: you suggested to us that potentially they might have been better served playing this tour in November
2: yeah
0: they they would have been because there aren't it was Hugo that suggested it like mm. there aren't league matches during November so like sure, it's you. it's it's set up for an international break so then you go Well, there you go. There's a perfect window to bring a group of lads over. Or you could play against other touring teams. And you don't have to be playing against... Like, if you're playing South Africa on Saturday, it doesn't have to be the second string Springboks. Like, if if Australia are in London, they can come over and play us, like, on a Wednesday. It's not ideal, because you have to fly over, you have to fly back, they won't be available for training. But then you go, like, sure, they're getting matches. Like, you, you're bringing this touring team over, and you, you're getting a match. So, it is it is available that those those international matches, and then similarly during the Six Nations, you can play A matches, and you just go, okay, well, like if there's no league matches in England and France that weekend, then I, I haven't seen the way the fixtures fall. There's definitely going to be URC at the same time, um, so you've got matches possible against Wales and Scotland, um, and. It, it ties in with the way that the league, like what Hugo was saying, is that the league is much more competitive. There's fewer games. Um, they're not played in, in, you're not playing during an international window. So far more often, you're far more likely to be able for your first 15 to play consistently f- far more frequently or mm. members of your first 23, say, are going to play far more minutes, far more consistently. So what? What like who are your squad, like what are your squad guys going to do?
2: Yeah, because like I was looking at this in a little bit more detail. <clears throat> it's a 22-game regular season in for URC team, so it's 18 games in the league and four games in the cup. Uh, if you're, you you can, if you're a say, second row, say Ross Maloney, you can start all 22 of those games. If you go the full 80 and a half of them and go 60 minutes and replace for the last 20 the other half, you're still under 1,500 minutes on the season. Now, I know that they've knockouts to come, but... Say, again, using Ross Maloney, not an international player. Like, that's, his, that's his season. With the, with the, with the starts and with the knockouts, it's still 30 games, which is doable.
0: So I just think in relation to Emerging Ireland, I, I do take it when it happened it didn't suit Ulster, but let's count up the minutes of all the players on the Emerging Ireland panel at the end of the season and just
1: see how much the provinces were denied their services.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Yeah.
1: Now speaking of schedules, Connacht, Connacht one stinks, and they are suffering as a result. Absolutely. They're, yeah, they're over four, over three, over four, over three, and uh, yeah, it's looking like a long winter for them.
2: Yeah, but for the Western <laughs> province. <laughs> <laughs> they've got a lot of the Connacht have had to play last year's winners last year's beaten finalists and one of last year's two beaten semi-finalists in their first three games, it's, you know, including last year's winners away. It's a, t- like, that's a really tough start in the schedule. Like, they don't have any control over who they get to play. Like, their season is, has got off to a dreadful start, but if their season had got off to a great start, they'd still have to play those three really good teams at some stage. So you come into this unknowable and some ways unfixable issue of momentum, where you generate it and and how you can kickstart a season that has started poorly. And they're fortunate in one way. No, they are fortunate. Not you know, Bearing in mind, they've had these three tough games. They're fortunate that they have a home Interpro up next. Connacht have typically really got up for Leinster at home, but they also get up for Munster at home. And conversely to Connacht's tough start, Munster have had a very soft start. They played last year's last place team, last year's second last place team, and last year's third last place team. Now, not in that order, maybe, but they're the three teams they played, the three worst teams in the league last year. And they've come away with one win without a bonus point and then two losses. Um, so I felt that Munster's performance against Zebra was probably, probably you know, given you have, like, as Bill James calls a ballpark factor. Like, a home game is much easier to win than an away game. It's just in every circumstance in rugby. Given that they had a home game um, and that they were playing against a Zebra team who lost three inside backs within the first... Half so they lost their starting 12, starting 13, and then their sub center. They also were up against a team who had 15 line outs in the first half and lost nine of them. That is the worst line out performance I have ever seen at professional level. That first half, ever in every I've watched quite a lot of games. That is. It was A standout, appalling performance: three crooked throws, and then six stolen and one spoiled. So Munster can take a lot of credit for the uh, the steals. Obviously, Peter O'Manion and Ty Burn mostly, but also it's it's a unit skill; there's lifters involved. Uh, but it, there's also a huge ineptitude in that area of the game from Zebra, and then you you can't like they they were you know that first half of them was was dreadful. Not every game is going to go like that. You you're not, you can't rely on the opposition only winning 33% of their line-out or three of their inside backs getting injured in the first half. Like given those occurrences, Munster's inability to score in the second half and secure a bonus point was was really poor. It was a really bad performance from them.
0: Yeah, but I, I, I don't think there's any surprise to that or there's anything new in that. Like Munster are awful at the moment. That's and that that's not a shock. Um and someone did a podcast about it last week. And I I thought that uh conversely, like basically I I'd be going long Munster now, like just out of out of contrarianism that they, they can't really get any worse. And I think so what I think is okay. We we talked at length about the the, the issues that they have with mm-hmm. their playing base. That they've got a load of players who are good but are old. That are basically mm-hmm. past their best and like are you know minding themselves for Ireland Judy, If you're if you're going to be very critical about it, that they haven't got a middle rank um, of guys because they've had development issues and that they've got good players who are young but as yet unproven. Um, so like that's been done, and I think where they're at in terms of playing style is, go back to what we were saying about Leinster and how capable Leinster are at applying pressure in in in, in different areas, be a territorial, possession, scoreboard. Uh, Munster aren't, because Munster are learning how to play under Mike Prendergast in particular, and, and Roundtree's learning how to coach, whereas... With Van Grand, he was trying to play his power game, mm-hmm. but he had like Damien Delenda in the middle. He knew how he wanted to play. Now the fact that it didn't suit his playing squad was 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 a sort of a secondary concern of his. But like he he did know how he wanted to play. It just mm-hmm. it, it it wasn't the right way. So they're trying to get their heads around the new way of playing, and they just don't have time to concentrate on pressure. But I think in term, like I I think. Given that Roundtree's hand was forced to play young fellas, mm-hmm. that that stands to him. Like he's better off going, he's better off pursuing that. Not not to, not to spite his season or spoil himself, but to get energy into the mm-hmm. team, like to to get um, a zest into the team, to put competition for places. Like so, to go back to the idea of pressure, probably to start looking internally and just going it's not a foregone conclusion that I'm just going to pick the same players all the time. Mm-hmm. It's that if you play well, you'll get picked. Whereas I have the feeling under Van grant it really didn't matter who played well. Uh, he was going to pick the same guys anyway. Mm-hmm. And that's no use for your squad because guys lose interest. Guys, guys just... They just die out. Like, in, in both ways. Like, mm-hmm. the guys who are going to get picked are going, well, I'm going to get picked anyway. And the guys who aren't going to get picked goes, well, I'm not going to get picked. Like, selection is the greatest skill and it's the greatest power that a coach stroke director of rugby has week in, week out, all the way through the season. And
2: this this is interesting that you bring that up. Connacht have had a, uh, a tough start, but they've also, like, irrespective of the strength of the schedule, they haven't played well. So they've gone with Andy Friend now as director of rugby and Wilkins as, as coach, his first season as as coach, and you know, there shouldn't be um, there shouldn't be as much of a learning curve there. And yet it seems like this team is is sort of all over the place.
1: Speaking of schedules, I can't help but notice. Was just doing some uh, mid podcast research there, and Leinster once again have the uh, last two regular season games. <laughs> Are there two?
2: South African uh, games. Yeah,
1: chips. There, there are two games in South Africa, one trip, I presume, will come back in between. Um, is, there, is that a set in stone thing or is it
2: supposedly random each year? Don't know, but it makes the case for getting as many wins as possible, playing your strongest team as possible early in the season and building up the points like they did last year makes that really important. You don't want to be going down in the middle of like trying to play in knockout games in Europe and having to send... Uh, your full team down to collect points so you can get out into a favourable uh, position in the draw in in the league as well.
1: Yeah, it just, it, I mean, it, I just felt for Connacht starting with two away games um, against the champions in particular in that lovely stadium in a <laughs> looks like he was in a nature reserve. Like <laughs> I like, oh, have a great place to play rugby. Although you're definitely going to get beaten. <laughs> um, but I just felt for them, you know, starting the season down in South Africa, it seems just like the short straw. And whereas Leinster are playing the Bulls and who are they playing? The, the Lions. So
2: they're playing the Lions last and the Bulls before that and in the, in the, at the end of the season. I think it's
1: the Lions and then the Bulls. Um, in April. And it just... I think, I mean, I'm, I'd be confident Leinster will probably have the points they need to be secure in a good draw by that stage. Um, maybe not, you know, top the table seed, but I don't know. There's just something curious about that. Maybe there needs to be more transparency about when you do those away trips and maybe it needs to rotate around the league.
2: I think that's a good point. Like, I don't, I know that there was some, there's always, there used to be always uh, bargaining around where who wanted fixtures when and the one that springs to mind was Ulster didn't want fixtures on Sunday um I'm sure Leinster wanted fixtures on Saturday as well you know but there used to be you know that the the league would propose and essentially the teams would dispose of of whatever fixtures and everyone you know you have to settle on a fixture list at the end but I'm not exactly sure what that is like we, you know we've talked uh, a little bit amongst ourselves about the URC setup it's a strong it's like it is an increasingly strong league um but they have plans for or I I don't think it's fair to say plans they've mentioned and uh, Martin Ayayi has mentioned before about they're looking at setting up a, an a grade league or even somewhere down the line a women's league um so it's a it's a league with with uh, it's a league with big plans but on those two on those two aspects of it like I think those are completely undeliverable I don't think there's any I don't see where the,
0: I don't see where the money comes from yeah. I don't see where the financing the, the, with the introduction of the South African teams it's far more competitive but there's far greater distances to travel so just to go back quickly to the fixturing, there's always going to be derby matches at Christmas time and New Year. You know, Glasgow play a double header against Edinburgh. Yeah, Leinster play Munster and Connacht, or they play Ulster and Munster, whoever it is, and and so on and so on. The Welsh teams play Judgment Day and mm-hmm. they play their Millennium Stadium matches. Um, so those are set; they're the first ones to go. Mm-hmm. And then the South African teams can't come up and play one match in the Northern Hemisphere and then head back. Like yeah, they have yeah. to play a tour like they have to play at least two matches but ideally three matches on the road on the bounce and then if you're going to travel to south africa it doesn't make any sense to play one match so Mm -hmm. you have to go and play two matches in south africa so it's a question then of like how does that rotate around given that the south african teams are going to be on the road for extended periods yeah good point you know so i I, there's given, only, so many, there's only so many ways it can fall into. Given those constraints, like the sort of the league rights itself in a way, it's just a question of do you play the South African teams, and uh, not so, like at the beginning or at the, at the end. And I suppose for Connacht, it's at the beginning. It, like you can obviously play them in the middle, but, um, I think there's there's a number of constraints and parameters that have to be fulfilled that just means this is the
1: way that the the league falls. Yeah, no, it was just something I was yeah. curious about. I just because I I hadn't. I hadn't checked in in detail um, and I remember just thinking last year that it was like it was Leinster had I guess um, they had done the work earlier in the season getting the points they needed to be able to afford themselves the opportunity to send down a very inexperienced team to South Africa which then produced two very exciting games got two losing bonus points and secured the top seed so um, I mean it worked out well on every front they got to blood a lot of these players test them they also got to stay home and prepare for like the Toulouse game, where there was the semi final. So I don't know, it, it was more just out of curiosity. Had they said anything? Because with the way that you were saying about Leicester, Leicester, sorry, sorry, Leicester, yeah. And um, the way you were saying though about the, the, you know, there's only so many ways they can divvy up the league after you've taken all the kind of big derbies and and so on, and taken into account all the the travel uh the limitations of travel and not just, you know you have to go on tour because you know uh one of the two like four of the teams are in africa yeah i don't know it it's just it just seems like a lot of the other elements of it, of the league that were kind of previously well established and yeah well it's more like that they were they, they, they become norms because they were shared between the four you know smaller um unions in Europe yeah. and as we said it was sort of it was always working as a development league and, and they're all centralized unions so it's like well they can you know sort of arrange the fixture list to suit everyone whereas now there's I guess it just seems like there's more competing forces with the South African teams in it how good are these Irish? well the Irish have come to play, haven't they? Yeah, sure. the one last story caught my eye. Uh, now keen to follow Exeter teammate Sam Sibbins in moving abroad. Essentially, after the World Cup, he'd have no reason to stay around, he, or, the reason to stay around. The lure of playing international for England would be diminished by the fact that he's not got another World Cup in him. So he head off to France and get a big payday. Uh, and I think it seems a little bit like. Uh, a, a, an indicative move of what might happen a lot more that it feels like with the reduction in the salary cap, the French League is more competitive uh, financially and that more and more English players will say I might sacrifice this uh, international career for the riches I can earn in a much shorter professional career. Reduction in the salary cap and the weakness of Sterling. Mm. So you can earn more
0: in Euro than you could two years ago or five years ago in particular Um, and it's it's the same route that football has taken with the premiership it's just the nationalities are reversed but Matt Williams wrote about it a number of years ago just saying look all the best players play in France and more and more of them are going to go and play in France it's the best league Um, (coughs) excuse me you talked about Australia and the NRL and the AFL and and how well they were set up to provide the fans with a really good product and then commensurately the the players that you've you've got a regular schedule of games like if you're a fan and you've got a season ticket you know that you're going to have um like 13 games at home you know that You've got the opportunity to follow your team because the transportation network is good. A lot of the matches are are local enough. Like rugby is predominantly played in the south, albeit like the two Parisian teams are are there as well. But like I mean, across, you know, below the Loire, they're, they're, and it's it's particularly because it's sort of easier to travel north south in France. Like it's you're not necessarily going to go over and play in the East if you're from the West. But if you're on the West of France, it's very easy to get to all the rest of the the Western matches. Um, So it's it's viable. It's viable to follow a team as a fan, which means you've got much fuller attendance, which means that there's a better buzz. You've got cash coming in if you're a club. And it also makes it more appealing to uh, broadcasters because it's a better product and there's better atmosphere to it. So France is set up to be the... Dominantly, it already is the dominant league in Europe. It's just set up to
1: uh, enhance that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the bulwark against that has been that Irish, uh, the IRFU, have instituted a rule after Johnny Sexton went to Paris, saying you won't get picked. And un, an unspoken rule, but definitely a rule nonetheless. You won't get you won't get you won't get picked for Ireland squads if you're playing abroad. Well, so,
2: do, so 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 does England,
1: and so does the IRFU, and that's been the bulwark against France, like hoovering up all the talent. You would say.
0: Yeah, so I mean, like Nowell and Simmons are are towards the end of their careers, and the the question is, who blinks first? Like, will a, will a player leave England? Um, who's the who's the out half for Harlequins? Who's Marcus it? Smith. Marcus Smith. What happens if Marcus Smith goes? Plays for Racing. Uh, w- will they blink? Or will they just go? No, no. We've we've enough players coming through, and he's welcome to take his chances. So I guess that's really the question for English rugby because, like Jack Nowell's time, best his best years are behind him. But it just makes the, the top fourteen, the top car tours, uh, even more attractive.
2: Yeah, uh, Simmons. Simmons, like he was never an Eddie Jones favorite. Yeah, he played some games for England, um, but. He was never an Eddie Jones favorite. He's, he's actually, I think, only 27 or 28. Um, so he, he, he could have four or five years ahead of him in, in Montpellier and make you know, a good bit more than he's, he's earning at Exeter. And you know, he, he mightn't be losing out on anything. You know because like it, the lure of staying in England is that you get to play for the international team, and, and he mightn't be picked. For the, it's not like he's throwing aside a burgeoning international career. He's not having to make that decision. He's just thinking to himself, like, I don't get paid for England anyway. I could probably make twice as much as, as what I'm earning. And like Exeter extra a good club, it's not like he's, he's leaving Worcester or something like that. But uh, the top 14 is just a much bigger league than the Premiership. I do
0: struggle, though, to understand just how the Premiership... He was struggling, so struggle, struggle. Um, I think bouncing around broadcasters hasn't helped them. I, I think BT actually do a good job. So do Sky, I. Sky did a good job before that. And then compounding that, that if you're a rugby fan, you don't know what channel the European matches are going to go on. So you sort of say to yourself, Geez, do I need to get the two subscriptions or do I just not bother with any of them and you go to be honest i'm just not gonna bother with any of them because to watch it properly i need to pay for two of them and neither of them completely guarantee me so rugby was better rugby was better when it was on sky and maybe maybe that was like the sweet spot of the model where you go i pay my subscription as a punter i guarantee to see all the league matches and i'll get all the european matches and i'll get all the home international matches that aren't on terrestrial TV anyway. So, like, I'm completely covered, and this is worth me forking over. Plus, like, I get the premiership, because, like, you wonder how much rugby, you know, moves the needle. But if you're a rugby fan, it does. Like, that'll make mm-hmm. your decision for you. Whereas you move to BT, and it's still on Sky, and it's still... I just think, like, oh, forget it. It's too expensive. I don't know. I'm just not that bothered. I Like, I, I have to pay attention to find out like which match is going to be on at which time. And then do, do the broadcast times conflict with each other? It, You know, it just,
2: well, I think, I think it,
0: there was a few media missteps went on there.
2: I agree. And it's something which was never, which was always mentioned and never changed for the better. Like it used to be, you bought Sky Sports. That meant that you got the Tri-Nations and Super 12s, European Cup and like the Premiership. You know, that was like for that was great. Mm. Um, so BT Sports, you know, did drive a truckload of money up to the Premiership. Now their deal has gone down in value, or their forthcoming deal is down in value. And but it's it's that that problem has just never been resolved.
0: But you like you know you know what happens? Like if somebody drives a truckload of money up, it just gets spent. Mm. It gets spent in the here and now. So you might sign up guys for two or three year deals. And the players that are fortunate enough to be employed or at the, at the peak of their powers when the BT money arrives, they get, they get all that. That goes out the door with the players. Like, yeah. You know, when they leave the stadium after training or after matches, the money goes with them. Unless you're Exeter and you spend it on infrastructure, but even Exeter like built up a good team. So that, that's just a fact of what happens. Like All the, all the teams compete against each other they all give the players more money than they were getting or importantly than they are going to get in 5 or 6 years time and you know you're just like it's it's musical chairs if you're lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time it's a great career mm. and if there's no money when you're playing it's it ain't well I mean it, it's still fun but like you're not reimbursed to anything like the same standard as when there's loads of money sloshing around